Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Thanks Nat so much. So uh, as uh, Hannah already said, um, we are in this series called Crossroads, looking at the way of the cross. And this week we are talking about the way of encouragement. And um, I thought it might be worth right at the beginning just spending a moment actually defining what I mean and what we're going to be talking about when we talk about encouragement this morning. And um, so what I did, rather than looking at a dictionary, is I looked at the etymology of the word encourage. And Hannah didn't need to do that because she's super clever, uh, but, but I did. And uh, it comes from the early 15th century word, French word, encourager. Like my French accent there. I have a French surname as well, just so you know. Uh, which means to make strong or hearten. And it's from on, which is the in bit, to courage. And courage meaning heart, inner strength. And so really, when we're talking about encouragement, when I'm talking about encouragement, I'm talking about putting courage into people, feeding them with things that uh, are going to encourage them, that are going to strengthen them, that are going to hearten them, so that they can fully be all who God made them to be. And, you know, we live in a culture that is increasingly uh, self-centered. So choosing encouragement, giving someone courage can be costly, it's often misunderstood, and it is really super countercultural. And I don't know about you, but um, every now and again when I'm reading the Bible, something kind of just jumps off the page at me. And I, I just speaking for myself and being honest, it can be easy to read the Bible, and sometimes if you read a passage a few times, um, sometimes, just occasionally, I sort of slightly sort of, sort of, I sort of, what's the word? I sort of meander through it, kind of, you know, kind of, you know, like, yes, I kind of know this was what happens, and I don't, I sort of pay attention, but I don't pay attention. And um, I sort of skim it sometimes, just being honest. And then every now and again, something happens, and you find yourself doing a bit of a double take. I don't know if any of you have ever had this uh, when you read the Bible. And there's something that you haven't seen before, even though you've read the passage loads and loads and loads of times. And you wonder how you ever missed it. It's like God turned a light bulb on. You're like, oh my goodness, how did I miss that? That's just so obvious. It's been there the whole time. Illuminating something that's been hidden in the passage, if you like. And if you read the Bible much, um, this passage that we've just read is probably quite a familiar passage and it's a passage that talks about the early church. There's one other passage like this in Acts 2. And really, you kind of the vibe is there's a sense of unity. People are praying together. People are sharing their possessions. There's a sense of kind of mission. And everyone's on this together. And we kind of move on. And then if you keep reading, you'll know that um, there's a story of Ananias and Sapphira, which is not a great story. Doesn't end well for Ananias and Sapphira, and uh, you know the the reason um, for that is because what they did is they sold some land, and then they said to the and they kept some back, and then they said to the disciples and apostles, "Here's the money from our sale." And um, as I said, it didn't end uh, well for them. It's a family show, but you you know they die, um, and um, and it wasn't so much that they held some money back. It was the fact that they pretended 
that that was all they had. And that's what cost them. And, um, and, and the other week I was reading this passage and I, I, I get distracted really easily and I got distracted thinking about Ananias and Sapphira and then, and then I just thought I'd read the passage again and I just was struck by this thing or should I say this, this person because I, as I kept reading the book of Acts this person just keeps popping up and of course, once, I don't know if you've ever had this, like if someone says everywhere you look, it's there. And everywhere I look, Barnabas just kept showing up. And we're told that his word, that Barnabas, his name isn't actually Barnabas, his name is Joseph. And um, he's a Levite, he's a Levite from, uh, from a, and the Levites kind of were responsible for worship uh, he's from Cyprus, and the apostles have given him this nickname, Barnabas, Barney. And we're told that that means son of encouragement. And as I said, the more I read, the more he kept uh, popping up. And as we continue the Crossroads series this week, I want to do something a bit different. I want to spend some time looking at this guy, Joseph, also known as Barnabas, and seeing what, what, what we might be able to learn about how he lived. You remember Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So the purpose of this morning is let's look at Joseph or Barnabas's life and see how we might imitate him better. So we, as we've already seen, Luke, who's the author of Acts, tells, the apost- tells us that the apostles have given this name Barnabas to a man named Joseph, his nickname. And Luke translates Barnabas into Greek as um, Hoyas Parakletheos, a very impressive Greek there, uh, which could be translated as son of encouragement, son of comfort, or son of exhortation. And son meaning this is someone who exemplifies this thing. Another thought is that if you took the root of the word Barnabas in Aramaic, which was the language that the apostles uh, would have spoken, Barnabas means son of a prophet. And this is really much more uh, to do with what his nickname and what it means. And Barnabas could be seen as son of a prophet whose function is to give encouragement. If you have read 1 Corinthians 14.1, it explains that prophecy is primarily given for strengthening comfort and encouragement. And here is this guy Barnabas, this guy Joseph, also known as Barnabas, who is constantly just looking for ways and means to encourage other people. And it's a popular wordplay that's uh, often at work here in case of giving people names. By extension, then, the name refers to that which the prophet does by way of encouragement, which reflects his character um, and how he is portrayed in the rest of the book of Acts. And most of pretty much all we know about him, it comes from the book of Acts. He's referred to one, one in 1 Corinthians, and, and then uh, that's it. Um, so what do we know? Well, we know that he was a man of some means. He had a tract of land, and we see that, obviously, in the passage that we've just read, because he sold a tract of land uh, to give the money to the church. But he was very generous, uh, obviously, giving the money away. Um, the time when Barnabas left Cyprus uh, is unknown, but by the time he sold it, his land, it appears that he was pretty plugged into the church in Jerusalem. 
Um, Barnabas had family connections in Jerusalem. We know that because his cousin is um, uh, John Mark. Um, oh, sorry, uh, yeah, that, his, that the mother of his cousin John Mark had substantial money as well, and the church met in her house. And Acts suggests that Barnabas was a prominent member of the church in Jerusalem. After Paul's conversion, he wanted to join the prophet. After Paul's conversion, he wanted to join the prophets. Uh, sorry, the the church in Jerusalem. But they were understandably a little bit nervous. I mean, here is the guy who has been persecuting the church. Here's the guy who presided over the 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 first martyrdom uh, of Stephen. And he's saying, well, I've been saved and I want to join your church. Now, um, you can forgive the early church for being a little bit nervous about this guy. Like, what are his real intentions? What's really going on? Is he really saved or is this just a means of getting in and then getting us? And here he is. Let me read the passage. It's in Acts 9. When Paul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and how the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. There he is. There he is, encouraging him, drawing him alongside, inviting him in. It's easy to read this passage and realize this is extraordinary risk for Barnabas. He's, he's not just risking his own reputation, Uh, But he's also risking the safety of everybody in the group that he is inviting um, Paul into. He's befriending, supporting, encouraging, and speaking on behalf of somebody who has been a a cause of huge amount of turmoil in the church. Barnabas, on the other hand, is prepared to look beyond someone's reputation to see what God was doing and also to see the person. And then to speak on his own behalf and to leverage his reputation for the sake of Paul. When Barnabas, goes, when Barnabas saw God working among the Gentiles in Antioch, he's the one who stays there to minister. He sees God working in this new way with people who aren't from the Jewish faith. And he presses in, and he's the one who stays there to encourage them, to speak life into them, to disciple them. Luke reports that Barnabas was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And it, it adds in Acts 11.24 that considerable numbers were brought to the Lord because of Barnabas's ministry. Barnabas um, then went to Tarsus to find Paul, and they ministered together. And then we read in the church of Antioch again that they decided they want to send some money back to the church in Jerusalem. And who do they look to? Who do they trust to take this money back to the church in Jerusalem? Well, it's Barnabas, this trustworthy guy. Again, just quietly in the middle of the story. And then in Acts 13 too, the Holy Spirit commissions Barnabas and Paul for a missionary journey after they've returned. And they sail to Cyprus where, as we said, Barnabas has been born, and they take John Mark, Barnabas' cousin, along with them. And when they leave Cyprus, they have a falling out, while John Mark decides to leave, and Paul and Barnabas uh, carry on to um, Turkey, where they ministered in several cities. 
And they then return to Antioch and they remind, remain there for a while, again, just encouraging the early church in its infancy. There's Barnabas, again, right in the middle. And it's interesting when there's a question about whether these new Gentile, that's people who weren't from the Jewish faith, new Gentile believers uh, should be circumcised. It's Barnabas who is right in the middle of that discussion and then is sent to make sure that things happen the, the way that they should. Quietly, again, there in the middle of the story, faithfully serving the Lord and serving uh, people. Here is someone who is not afraid of difficult conversations, who appears to be willing to do whatever he can to bring about resolution and reconciliation. And the last we hear of Barnabas in the book of Acts is when Paul is about to set off on his secondary, second missionary journey and he wants to invite Barnabas. But Barnabas says, can we bring Mark? And Paul says, no, because he's the one who left us before. And so Barnabas decides to stay with Mark. And Paul obviously goes to Asia Minor with Silas. And there are two really interesting things to notice about what is happening in that particular passage. The first is this. The first is, if you read it, you'll notice the language has changed. It's no longer Barnabas and Paul. It's Paul and Barnabas. He, Paul now, is the one who is commissioned, and he is the one who is inviting Barnabas to come with him. Secondly, Barnabas chooses to stay with Mark, supporting the lesser-known, lesser-well-established family member, even though he had previously deserted them in Cyprus. And in the end, we know that Mark redeems himself it's interesting to note that this is after Barnabas's intervention and investment in him as a person and them and their relationship. Maybe Barnabas was the friend that Mark needed to recover and to become more himself. To be the one who would later be reconciled to Paul, we know that because he is with Paul in prison, and to write the Gospel of Mark. So what can we learn about this extraordinary man uh, and about the way of encouragement? Well, I'm just gonna, I've got a number of ideas, thoughts, see where they land, see which one works for you. But these are just a couple of my thoughts as I've thought about Barnabas and I've thought about the passages that I've talked about. First of all, be on the lookout for who God might be working in and be ready for it to be someone you might not expect. If you had said to the early church, uh, Saul who then became Paul, is going to be the most significant leader in the early church. The disciples would have run a mile. Why? Because he is the person who was persecuting the church. The most unlikely person becomes the most extraordinary missionary. And Barnabas was the person who spotted that. So be on the lookout for unusual people that God is doing extraordinary things in then draw alongside them and befriend them and encourage them. Secondly, let's champion others. We see Barnabas do this again and again. First he does it with Paul, then he does it with uh, John Mark. Champion others, that comes at a cost, particularly in a culture where we like to talk about ourselves, where, where the culture is increasingly narcissistic, where we talk about ourselves, we don't, we don't big other people up because it's all about us. 
What about taking some time to champion others? So people, I've got this friend called Tim who's in America who's the most extraordinary. He spends his whole time championing other people, just saying what's brilliant about them, recommending. He got offered this job, a promotion. He said, you know what? I think he'd be better at doing it than I would. I mean, his boss nearly fell off his chair. But he, first of all, he was right. And secondly, you know, why would you do that? Well, because I believe that he has what I don't, and he can do what I can't. Thirdly, take the opportunity to tell people what they mean to you or what you appreciate or value about them. In our culture, that can feel a little uncomfortable. And I want to encourage us to learn from our American friends who are exceptionally good at this. Some might say sometimes it'll be too good. But they are amazing at encouraging people. And in our culture, we, you know, we, like, we don't like to big people up. We don't want them to get too full of themselves. We don't want them, want them to get a big head. But it is so, so powerful when we do it, when we see the impact that that can have. And I just want to give you a couple of tips on that that I've learned. The first is, there's a, there's a, a neurologist called Rick Hansen, and he talks about negativity bias. And what the negativity bias is, is, is that for every one negative thing that is said to us, it sticks to us like glue. And for, for positive things, it takes at least five positive things to begin to undo the one negative thing, which is a challenge to me. I don't know about you. I think about how often I'm negative and how much I'm positive, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm in trouble. And what he says is if we're going to do something encouraging, it needs to last at least 20 seconds because that's how long it takes the brain to work out that something positive is being said and it begins to stick. So what that means is, like, often what we do is we say, oh, I just think you're amazing. Well, that's one second done, 19 to go. So how about we say, for example, Hannah, who, yeah, I thought the way that you led the dedication was amazing. I love the way that you really included us in it while you explained really clearly what was going on and made it very non-religious. And I really appreciate that about your leadership and the way that you lead and the way you speak. You don't assume we know things, but you don't treat us like idiots either. Right? I mean all of that, but that was 20 seconds. How, you know, think about it. Let's be as specific as we can. So think of another example. I love when Nick plays the drums in church. I love when Nick plays the drums in church because, first of all, he's super animated and he really gets into it. And secondly, if you watch him closely, what he's doing is he's pulling faces at his nieces that are in the front row. And I absolutely love that. They love it, and just watching this interaction that's going on behind a drum screen while he's busy doing this is really uh, amazing. So I love, I really appreciate that about uh, Nick. What I love about Claire when she leads us is she gets really excited, and she really, you know, she leads not just with her voice, but with a whole body, and, you know, we kind of get taken along with that, with her. And that comes at a cost because you have to get over your own self-consciousness and your own awkwardness, but it's amazing. Those are just three examples, heartfelt, of how we can be specific and encourage people. Now, some people like just the thought of doing that makes them want to vomit, and I understand that. 
we're, we're English. But, but maybe if, if the thought of saying it to somebody is just too awkward and too vomit-inducing, well, one, maybe get past the gag reflex, your own gag reflex, and give it a go. You probably won't vomit. But the second thing is there are other ways of doing it. So send a card. Send someone a card. You know, actually, to have something that they can go back on and look, you know, look at. I keep all my encouraging emails in a folder so that if I'm having a day where I'm not feeling so great, I just remind myself that actually I'm an all right human being, I'm doing my best, I'm a work in progress, and here are the emails to uh, remind me of that. So, so top tip one, write it, be specific. Second top tip, keep it if you receive one. Fourth thing, oh, you can also do it like as a WhatsApp, whatever, but just, you know, Let's get over our awkwardness. My friend Tim, this same guy, will be in a restaurant and he will call the manager. He'll say to, if the waiter's been particularly good, he'll say, can I speak to your manager? And you can see these poor waiters just freaking out, thinking, what have I done? And he'll say, I just want you to know that Robert has given me the best service tonight. We felt really valued customers. He really took care of us. He took time. And... You know, this look of relief on the waiter's faces mixed with the fact that, like, and it registers with the manager. Don't just tell the person. Tell the person who they're working for, if, you know, if that helps. Really good. Like, again, slightly North American, but we can do this, people. <sighs> Come on. <laughs> Next thing. Let's not be wall builders. Let's be bridge builders. The situation when, when the Gentiles became Christians could have been a major, major incident. Could have caused a major problem. But Barnabas saw it as an opportunity to build bridges. What are the opportunities that we are presented with to build bridges? Particularly in a culture where we're all about building walls and cancelling people. How can we build bridges? I was at a, um, a, um, a sporting event, and there was a guy there who, um, who he came and said hello, and he was, he was really friendly to us. And when we first moved to the area, he was the person who was constantly really friendly to us when other people kind of standing at a distance and trying to work us out. And when he left, someone said something not very nice about him. And do you know what Nicky did? Nicky said, do you know what? I really appreciate him because he was the first person who came and said hello, and he has consistently been friendly to us. And if you got to know him, you know, find this is a really nice guy. And she was like, oh, that's interesting. Hadn't thought about that. And just didn't, didn't put the other person down for saying what they said, but just a little course correction, building a bridge, not a wall. Loads of opportunities to do that, to build bridges and not walls. When someone says something, and it's easy, isn't it? We kind of get, you know, I don't know about you, but I can get a little bit stirred up. and a little bit... Um, Occasionally, Nikki's like, well, maybe this is what's going on in their life. Maybe, maybe they've you know, had a bad day. Maybe, you know, you don't know. The only thing that you know is their reason why they did that. And maybe give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe give them a call. Maybe check they're okay. Build bridges. Build bridges. Build bridges. Takes a little bit more time. It takes a little bit more intelligence, emotional intelligence. But think what a different place the world would be today if rather than sounding off on Twitter uh, under a pseudonym, we actually sort of talk to people as people properly. Fifth thing. Be the person who gives somebody else the benefit of the doubt 
and a second chance, particularly important in the culture that we live in at the moment. A few years ago, I, I, um, I had a bit of a, I had a, bit of a um, moment with some friends, and something just didn't, like I made a bit of a mistake, quite a big mistake, and I've just felt so embarrassed about it all, and you know, all our friends were talking about it, and we were at a school match, and I just felt so embarrassed, like I dreaded going and having to see people, and I dreaded, like, I just knew that there was kind of this kind of going on just over there, and um, I felt quite vulnerable, and I felt really ashamed of what happened, and then this friend of ours just came up afterwards, and said, all right, match tea then, and that was it, match tea then, like, he knew what happened, but he gave me the benefit of the doubt, and he just looked for a way to draw me back in, in a very kind of, without even mentioning it, how easy is it to do that? And how, much, how often do we miss those moments? Because either we're worried about what other people think, or we think it's not our business, or we just think, well, serves them right. And, you know, I'm, and maybe it does. In my case, it definitely served me right. You know, I got myself in a situation entirely my own fault. But it took somebody who, who had the kindness to just say, do you know what? Let's give them a second chance. Let's just normalize. Let's just make this normal. Let's come and have a cup of tea. How, it's just so easy and costs nothing. And so much of encouragement, you know what, it costs us nothing except a little bit of thought and a little bit of time. Lastly, know when to step back and let somebody else have the limelight. I told you about my friend Tim already. So interesting, Barnabas. Goes from Barnabas and Paul to Paul and Barnabas. That requires you, one, to be secure, and secondly, to be happy to play second fiddle to somebody else. And in a world where we are busy trying to climb over each other to get ahead, what an extraordinary witness to be the people who say, do you know what, no, no, you know, this is, they're really good at this, I'm going to let them do it. Or they're better at this than I am. What an amazing way to encourage people. And I promise you this, if you do any one of these things, people are going to stop and they are going to ask you why. Eventually, it may take a while, but they are going to ask you why. And then my kind of secret extra thing is have a reason. You know, have it in your holster, have your testimony. Like, oh, you know, because I'm a Christian and I think it's really important that we, you know, love our neighbors, we love ourselves. I think it's really important that we champion and cheer each other on and you know all I've tried to do over the last 30 years I've been a Christian 30 years which makes me feel really old I was only one when I became a Christian (laughs) Um, I've just tried my best most of the time getting it really badly wrong to try and uh, live by these values to encourage, 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 encourage. Because what I've learned in my own life is encouragement is like oxygen to the soul. It is like oxygen to the soul. Think about the times when someone has said something to you at just the right moment. And when the moment could have gone like that, you soared. Encouragement is like oxygen. So what I'm going to suggest we do as we finish, do you want me to just run through those again so you've got them? Without, I won't go through the detail, but one, be on the lookout for who God might be at workout. Secondly, champion others. 
Thirdly, take the opportunity to tell people what they mean to you or how well they've done something and be specific and take time to do it well. Four, be someone who builds bridges, not walls. Fifthly, be someone who gives people the benefit of the doubt. And sixthly, know when to step back and let someone else take the limelight. What we're going to do is we're going to spend a minute, just a minute, thinking, uh, what one of those could I do to someone this week? And secondly, who? So what and then who? Just going to give you a minute. Maybe the band will come back up and Nick will smile at us as we, as we, as we think. And then we're going to do a little bit of ministry. That sound good? Why don't I pray as we do that? Father, thank you so much for this example of this extraordinary man, Barnabas. Joseph. Every time we see him, he's kind of quietly encouraging in different ways. Help us to think of that person and then think about how we might encourage them this week. And Father, we pray that you'd help us, help us to cultivate our hearts so that people feel better for having spent time in our presence because they will leave knowing that they have been encouraged. Put courage into them. Maybe be the one who lets someone else have the final say or even when someone tells a joke and you've got one funny, you let them have the last laugh. Be the one who people want to be near because they know they will leave feeling better about themselves and better about life having spent time with you. be the person that people know they can come to and where you will tell them the truth but you will do that with kindness be the person who will just be there who will just show up Be the person who doesn't always have the answer but sometimes says, I don't know, but I'm here with you. Be the person who carries this life so infectiously that the people around you don't just feel encouraged, but they begin to encourage other people. And so the virtuous circle continues. Be the person who's prepared to be uncomfortable and 
speak that thing, say that thing that you know will make a difference even if it costs you your self-consciousness for a moment. Knowing all the while that we believe in the one who says, I am with you, I am in you. I rejoice over you with singing. I know everything about you and I still love you. He says, you're the apple of my eye. He says, I've written your name on the palm of my hand. He says, you're fearfully and wonderfully made regardless of what you think when you look in the mirror. Why don't we stand? I'm aware when we talk about words and the power of words, uh, all of us here have had things that people have said to us that have just hurt. Maybe they've hurt a lot. Maybe like me, you still carry the wounds of things that people said to you decades ago that just, just, they're just stuck in this like barbed wire, just stuck. And they probably weren't even true. I just want to give an opportunity for those people who you just, you'll know if it's you. And if it's just me, you can all pray for me. Who just know that, you know, my mum once said to me, I was a student, I was living at home, wasn't doing very much, I was quite lazy as a student. Um, She said, you look like Mr Blobby. And she was just irritated. She had come home from a long day and I'm sat on the sofa watching telly. Do you know what? that still ruminates in my soul 30 years later. I know it's not true, it still sits there. All of us will have something like that, something worse maybe, that someone has said to you. And I just want to give us an opportunity, if that's you, to come and get some prayer. I'm not saying that when we pray for you, it'll magically disappear, but maybe it'll begin a journey of healing for you, for us. So as we um, sing this next song together, if that's you, I'd just love to invite you to come and come to the front and we will find someone to stand with you, to pray for you, to encourage you this morning. So let's worship.